Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning. Welcome to Generations Church Online. Now, if you attend our church regularly, or maybe if you don't, you, you know that we don't normally stream our services at this point. It's something that we're hoping to do in the very near future. Uh, so if the quality is not what you would hope, or if the experience isn't everything that you desire, we're working on it. We're going to try to make it the best we can. But ultimately, in this season of coronavirus and all of the things that are going on around us, we felt like this was the best way for us to be together. Uh, over the last few days, we made the decision to suspend our in-person gatherings uh, here at our Generations Church location. And, uh, you know, when you make a decision like that, I recognize there's a lot of opinions, there's a lot of thoughts about it. Uh, there's a lot of people that think, well, that's the right decision. That's the wise decision. There are other people that think, well, why are we doing that? Is that a fearful, fear-made decision? Uh, but it really wasn't. Ultimately for us, we, we, we prayed about it. We talked about it with uh, some of our leadership, our staff, our trustees of our church. And Corey and I really came to the decision that we know most of our church feels like us in that we love to be together. We love to gather together on Sunday mornings. We love to gather together on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights recently for Couple to Couple and other events at our church. When we can be together, we try to be together in person. And so we also know that there are a number of people in our church that have health issues. They have a lot of circumstances going on in their life right now. We have like a dozen pregnant ladies or recently born newborn babies uh, we also know that about 20% of our congregation is over the age of 50, which is one of the higher risk demographics related to this specific virus or even in this season of flu and sickness. About 30% of our church is under the age of 12. And so while the number of cases of this current virus aren't high in that demographic, the severity of those cases seem to be pretty high. And so we didn't want to give you uh, the, the, the weight, the full weight of trying to make the decision of whether or not you were going to come to church because we were choosing to have it. And, and so we made that prayerful decision and we believe it to be the right decision for this, uh, this week and even for next Sunday. And so we hope that you'll join us again next Sunday, 10 a.m. We're going to gather together in this kind of format uh, to worship together and to go to God's word uh, and we're excited about what God's doing. It doesn't change the excitement that we feel. We're still in a construction season. The construction workers are still working. They're even working right now uh, as they continue to prepare our space, uh, 12,000 additional square feet for us to create a worship space, lobby space. We're going to uh, change all of the things uh, that we currently use in ministry context upstairs to be more dedicated space for kids and for youth uh, in the coming months. And so we're excited about that. Uh, but it's just an exciting time for our church. And so I'm thankful today that you are a part of what God's doing at Generations Church, whether you attend here regularly in person or whether you're just joining us online today. Today we are continuing in a series that we've been in the last couple of weeks. It's, it's out of the book of Ruth, the Old Testament book, that finds itself kind of in the middle of two seasons of the children of Israel. Uh, in the first season, it's the season of judges, and then the next season to come is kind of the season of kings. And so the book of Ruth finds itself in, in that middle ground. Uh, it's still a place where the judges are ruling, but ultimately uh, we see that the lineage that really is, is continued through this story will lead us to King David, who was the second king of the children of Israel. And so as I think about this book, I recognize that over the last two weeks we've talked about that this is truly a redemption story. That's why we titled the series Redeemed. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about, out of chapter one, uh, what a redemption story looks like. I talked about the fact that God can turn bad 
to good. And I talked about the fact that redemption stories really are for everyone. It's not just for a certain group of people, but redemption stories are intended for everyone. And then last week, my good friend J.C. Worley, pastor of Go Church in south of Atlanta and and Metro D.C., uh, he presented to us some truths from chapter 2. And he really looked to, uh, helped us to look at the fact that chapter 2, where chapter 1 is a lot about death and, and, and bad circumstances, and then ultimately the loyalty of Ruth and Naomi, uh, chapter 2 is all about hope. And so we see the incredible unfolding of hope that's available to us in chapter 2. Today I'm looking at chapter 3, and if I've got to be honest, out of these four chapters, uh, I recognize that chapter 3 is the most difficult chapter to preach, it's probably the most difficult chapter even to read because it, it kind of bridges the gap between what was the setup of these first two chapters and what is the resolution of chapter four. And so as I was digging into chapter three to try to understand what God may be saying to us and ultimately trying to teach us through this story of redeemed, I think there's a few truths that really help us. And honestly, it's amazing to me that in the sovereignty of God, we're in chapter three in this present season that we find ourselves in, even as we don't join together. And I think you'll see some of that unfold. So in chapter three, we begin looking at verse one. It says this, it says, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, when I I read that verse, obviously I come to to the thought that for me as the father of my children and as the husband of my wife, one of my great joys is to be the provider for my family. Uh, ultimately, I'm not just talking about a financial provider, but ultimately to be the provider in as many ways as I can find to provide for them. So yes, financially, I want to provide for my children and the things that they, they need, and even in some of those things that they want, uh, but I also want to provide for them security. I want to provide for them protection. I, I want to provide for my three sons, I want to provide for them an example of what it means to be a godly husband and, and ultimately a godly father. I, I want to provide for my daughter uh, what it could look like to be in a loving marriage and relationship, for a man to pursue a woman in the way that I attempt to do uh, toward her mother. And, and, and i got to admit, I get it wrong more times than I get it right. I know that, and, I, and I'm not perfect. But my, my efforts, my intention is to be that kind of example, to provide that kind of example for my children. And so as I was reading through verse 1 here in chapter 3, I, I recognize that Naomi is saying to Ruth, her, her daughter-in-law, who, who was married to her son who is now deceased, and these two women still doing life together, Naomi's saying, hey, I still feel a call to provide for you. Now, in the culture that they lived in, provision was ultimately uh, provided by the husband. It was provided by the man. It was provided by the, the male members of that society. And whether or not you disagree with that, that was the context in which they were living. And so Naomi now is trying to take on that provider role for her daughter-in-law to say, listen, I feel the, the need. I feel the call to provide for you. She said, I, I want to find a home for you. I want you to be well provided for. And so as I think about their story, I, I, I see that while they, Naomi lost her husband, she lost her two sons, Ruth lost her husband. They were missing that piece of what was understood to be uh, the, the source of their provision. I, I think about for in my life, just my neighbors and the people around me and maybe those that don't live in my home, who can I look to provide for? Who, who can I look out for ultimately? When I think about those people that are in my life, not just the people at our church, but maybe those people that live on my street, those people that are in my kids' school, those people that are on the ball teams that we play on, those people that we do life for, am I looking outside of, of my home to say, who could I look out 
For who could I try to provide for in some way, in one way or another? And it really caused me to ask this question of myself, and maybe you would ask this question of yourself, even in the days ahead as we're, as we're in a really weird season in our lives, maybe we would ask something like this. Who in my life needs a redemption story that I can take part in? Who in my life needs a redemption story that I can take part in? Now, again, if you're married, maybe you feel like you've got a pretty ready-made answer there. If you have children or grandchildren, maybe you feel like there's an obvious answer that comes in there. But, but maybe we look outside of, of that place. We look outside of our homes. We look outside of those who share our last names. And we look around us to those who are in need, those who may be a little less fortunate, those who may be walking through some tough days in this present moment. And we try to determine how is it that we could play part in the redemption story that God is writing in their life. Naomi said to Ruth, I've got to find a home for you, but maybe for you it looks different in the relationships that you're in. Maybe you would say, I want to help you find a job. Maybe there's someone that you know who needs to find work. And so you'd say, hey, I want to help you find a job. Maybe, maybe you would look to someone who's single but desires to be married, and you say, hey, I want to help you find a spouse. I know someone that I could try to connect you to that I believe may be the right fit for you. Maybe you just look to someone and say, hey, I want to help you find a friend beyond me who I, I want to be your friend. I want to help you find other life-giving, enriching relationships for you. Or maybe you look at someone and you say, hey, I want to help you find your purpose. I see potential in you. I see something in you that God desires to use for greater purposes than you even imagine. I believe that when we look beyond ourselves and our needs, we immediately become a part of the redemptive work of God. When we look beyond ourselves, when we look beyond our own needs, we immediately become a part of the redemptive work of God. And that's important for all of us because so often we tend to focus on ourselves. We tend to think only about our circumstances and the things that are happening in our lives. But when we can turn our attention towards others, we can see what God's desiring to do in their lives. And we immediately begin to play a part in his redemptive work. So the story continues and Naomi tells Ruth, she says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get ready tonight. I want you to get dressed up. And I want you to go to Boaz, Boaz's house. We, we talked about Boaz a few weeks ago. We talked about him again last week. He was a distant relative of Elimelech, who was Naomi's uh, deceased husband. And she said, I want you to go to Boaz's house. I want you to go to his barn tonight. And when he goes to sleep, I want you to lay down at his feet. So that's what Ruth does. She gets dressed up. She goes to the barn. Once Boaz lays down to go to, uh, go to sleep that night, she lays down at his feet. And when he wakes up, he's startled to find a woman laying there. And it says this in verse 9. It says, who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. If you remember from chapter one, Boaz had shown a great kindness towards Ruth as he allowed her to, to take of the, the grain and the barley that the workers of his field were, were dropping and they were leaving there, which was uh, really a part of the, the Hebrew or Jewish custom and, and, and what they had done to allow for foreigners and widows to be able to provide for themselves when they had no one else. And so he had shown her great kindness and said, hey, you get anything you need from my field. He told her to drink from his well, which would have been kind of an unspoken, unsaid thing uh, because she was a foreigner. But he had shown great kindness to her in that season. And so Ruth was reminding him of her awareness of his role as kinsman redeemer. If you remember, we talked about this from chapter one a few weeks ago, but the idea of a kinsman redeemer is that the closest male relative to a widow uh, would, would take her as his wife to continue the family lineage that would continue through her. And so he would take her in. He would provide protection for her. He would give her the means to be able to live and to do what she needed to do. And so she's reminding him, you're my kinsman redeemer. 
I'm connected to you through, through family, and I want you to know that this is the role that you play. And ultimately, this story is a reminder of God's redemptive work, which we've already talked about, but it's this foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus is our Redeemer. We talked about that last week. Pastor JC reminded us that he is our Redeemer, and he provides for our redemption. He, he buys us back from the things that are trying to own us in this world. And so when we look at the work of redemption, we can be reminded that God is our Redeemer through the work of Jesus Christ. And here's what I think is so important for all of us. It's okay to remind God who he is to you. Because I think it does a couple of things. It's not like he's forgotten, but I think it, it reminds us and it builds our faith. I think that's what those Old Testament saints were doing as they prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would start those prayers in that way, and they would say, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then they would begin to declare to God those things that they were asking from him. I think they were doing two things, and I've said this for a long time. I think one, they were reminding God, God, I'm about to ask you something, and I just want to remind you, you've been faithful to those who came before me. You've been faithful to my forefathers, to my grandfather, my great-grandfather. You've been faithful to my father, and when I ask you for this, I'm asking you to be just as faithful to me. But I think secondly, and maybe more importantly, it also reminds them who they're praying to. They're praying to a God, not that they hope can, but to a God that they know can. And here at Generations Church, we believe that faith is for you, your children, and your children's children. And some of you come from a long line of faith. Some of you, you come from a family where there are great-grandparents or grandparents or parents or aunts or uncles or those who came before you. And they prayed prayers that you're really kind of living out the fulfillment of those prayers today. But others of you, you've kind of put a stake in the ground. And you've said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to be the first generation of faith so that those who come after me can pray prayers to the God that I'm serving, to the God that I'm worshiping, to the God that I'm trusting beginning now. And so I, I think it's important for us to remind God who he is and to remind ourselves who God is. I, ultimately, I think that's what Jesus was doing when he taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 5. Before he allowed us or before he taught us to, to, to ask for our needs, for our daily bread, or to forgive us of our trespasses, he said we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy or praised or worshiped is your name. He said when you're praying to God, you need to start by understanding who he is and where he is. He, he has a unique perspective over the lives that you're living, over the things that you're asking of him. And so we worship his holy name and the perspective that he has before we say, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we even are attempting to forgive those who trespass against us. It's about reminding God who he is. There's power in that kind of faith to declare to our Redeemer that we know he is the one who brings redemption. So, so what needs do you have today? What is it that you are trusting God and believing God for? Have you taken it to God first? Has prayer been your last resort or has it been your first response? Is it, is it where you immediately turn to when you recognize that you have a need? God, spread your garment over me. Provide your protection to me. I think it's important for us as we live out these redemption stories in our own lives to recognize who the Redeemer actually is and to turn to him and ask him for his protection. There's two more verses that I want us to look at before we close our time. One of them is a, is a verse where Boaz is talking, the other where Naomi is talking. Look at this in verse 15. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back 
to town. I've already talked about the provision in verse 1 where Boaz gives her uh, what she'll need for the period. But here, what happens is that Boaz is actually providing for her for a season of waiting. You know, Ruth had said to, or Naomi had said to Ruth, listen, I want you to go to Boaz and I want you to to find what we're looking for. I want to try to find a home for you. I want to try to provide for you. But in this verse, Boaz himself is already taking it upon himself, even before he has become the kinsman redeemer, to give her what she needed. He says, here, I want you to bring your shawl. I want to give to you everything that you're going to need. I want to give you the barley that you're going to need. Even as you wait, even in this season of waiting. And as I was reading through that, I was recognizing that so often I am in pursuit of the blessing of God that I miss the present blessing of God. If you think about it, the children of Israel, they were on their way to the land that flowed with milk and honey. They were on their way to the promised land. But when we see them at first out in the wilderness, what are they doing? They're grumbling and complaining because of what they had left, what, the, what they were seeking after, and what they had left that they didn't have now. God provided manna for them in that wilderness season. He provided so that they wouldn't have to even go and find their own food. And so often in my life, if I'm just being honest for a minute, as I pursue the blessings of God, as I pursue more in relationship with God, as I think about the future, as I think about what God is going to do, as I pray prayers about what God might do in my life and in my children and in my family and in our church, I I often miss the present blessings of God. It's not necessarily the stop and smell the roses mindset, but it definitely is that if I'm not careful, as I look ahead, I miss what is right in front of my eyes. I've told this story a number of times before, but when I was in college, the president of our university was speaking And he was talking about, we were in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is about 30 minutes north of Chattanooga. And he said, you know, if I were to get into my car tonight and to drive from here, Cleveland, down to Chattanooga, I couldn't see all the way from here to Chattanooga. I could only see from here to the end of my headlights. And he was talking about the will of God, and he was talking about the direction of God in our lives, that God reveals himself to us in incremental ways so that we don't get distracted by all that may be out in front of us. We don't lose sight of what's happening today as we pursue all that may happen tomorrow. But I was even thinking about that story this last week as I was thinking about the blessings of God. And I think for so many of us, if we're not careful, we miss our present blessings as we are in pursuit of future blessings, as we're asking God to answer prayers, as we're asking God to do things that are great and awesome in our lives, we miss that. As we're waiting on our kinsman redeemer, we miss the six measures of barley that have been poured out to us so that we won't have need as we wait. Can I be honest with you? I hate to wait. I hate to wait. I I love it when I can walk into a restaurant or pull into a drive-thru and they serve me right away. But when they tell me it's going to be 30 minutes or when they tell me in a drive through line I've got to pull up into a numbered parking spot, I'm like, where is this fast food, right? I hate to wait. But so often what happens is that God teaches me the best lessons in seasons of waiting. And as I read through verse 15 and I recognize that Boaz is saying to her, listen, I'm going to go and find out if I'm truly your kinsman redeemer. There's another male relative who, who may be even closer to you than me. I want to go talk to the town leaders. I want to go and make sure this is right. But in the interim, I want to make sure you're provided for. What present blessings do you possess? What things are happening in your life right now that you may be missing as you are still longing for what you don't yet 
have. As I think about our present context, I think about this week and next week and the next few days even. Some of us, our kids are home for the next two weeks. Some of us, maybe your, your work schedule has changed and your work has asked you to work from home. Others of you, other people are getting to work from home and you still got to go to work. And so we're trying to figure out what's going on and what are the next few days going to hold and, and what, what is the information that's going to be made available to us. What if we tried to look at each of those circumstances to find blessing in them? What if we thought, man, when was the last time we had two weeks of time with no school, no sports schedules, no extracurriculars, maybe even no church events, that we could just spend some time together as a family? Maybe we pull out the board games out of the closet we haven't played in a long time. Maybe we sit down to watch a movie together. Maybe we have dinner around the table once or twice in the coming week. Maybe there's some blessing in that. Maybe not having to commute to work because we get to work from home frees up some time during our day for us to accomplish some things that we haven't been able to accomplish. Or maybe a commute with the roads a little less crowded allows us to get to work a little quicker and spend a few minutes with some coworkers where it's just relaxed. We're not already working on projects, working on tasks, but we get to do life together for a few minutes around the water cooler or there in our cubicle because we got to work a few minutes early. What is the present blessing of the present circumstances that we can find if we'll open our eyes and recognize that in those in-between seasons sometimes, God does his best work? Let's look at one more verse before we conclude today. Verse 18 says this, Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi said, wait until you find out what happens. I just told you, I hate to wait. I hate to wait. If I walk into the restaurant and they tell me it's going to be longer than just a few minutes, I'm usually looking for a second restaurant option. But as as I just said, God does some of his best work in waiting seasons, and Naomi didn't want Ruth to miss that. She wanted her to know that even though they weren't sure what Boaz was doing in that exact moment, that Boaz was working on their behalf. This is a foreshadowing to Jesus. I've said that a number of times over the last few weeks. And because it's a foreshadowing, it it causes me to pause and to reflect on those seasons of time, those moments of time, when I wasn't exactly sure what God was doing on my behalf. It felt like God was a million miles away. It felt like God was completely silent. It felt like God was nowhere near my circumstances and my anguish and my pain. And I was trying to understand what is it that he was up to. But Naomi says to Ruth, she says, listen, just wait until you see what happens. The story is not complete yet. This man will not rest until this matter is settled. Can I remind you today that God's silence is not his absence? God's silence is not his absence. Even when we can't see God, even when we can't feel God sometimes, we can, we can trust that he is working all things together for good. His good, his glory, and ultimately our good as we're connected to him and in pursuit of him and being shaped and formed into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. But he's working on our behalf. I was thinking about a sermon that I heard a number of years ago. Pastor Jensen Franklin, who pastors the Free Chapel Church, a number of campuses now all across the country. But he was preaching one day, and he was talking about the story of Abraham and Isaac. 
You may not be so familiar with that story, but Abraham did not have a child for most of his adult life, even as he had been promised a child. And then at an old age, he, uh, he and his wife, they give birth to a son, Isaac. And then God asks him to do the unthinkable one day. He asks him to sacrifice Isaac back to God. It's ultimately a test to see if Isaac is more important to Abraham than God himself is. But Abraham obeys. He loads up all of the supplies for sacrifice. He loads up his son and his servants, and they go off towards the mountain to offer sacrifice. And just when they get to the bottom of the mountain, he says to the servants, stay here. The boy and I will go up, and we will come back. There is this quiet resolve that even if God required sacrifice of Isaac, he was going to restore the boy's life because he was the promise that God had made to Abraham. They go up the mountain, and when they get there, the son Isaac says to his father, he says, Dad, I see the supplies, I see the wood, I see the altar that we built here. The one thing I don't see is the sacrifice. Now, if you pause that story for just a second and you think about the sovereignty of God, position yourself as God just for a moment and think about how this story is playing out, see both sides of the mountain at one time. When you and I are walking up one side of the mountain, that's all we can see. But in God's view, in God's perspective, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He sees both sides of the mountain at one time. And as Abraham and Isaac came up one side of the mountain, a ram was coming up the other side. God was providing everything that they needed, even while Abraham wasn't sure how it was going to play out. What circumstances are you in today? What things are happening right now that seem like seasons of waiting? They seem like seasons of frustration. They seem like, seem like seasons of heartache and hardship. What season are you in? What circumstances are you in right now where you don't know because you and I don't have the right perspective? We don't have the full view of all of the details that God is working out on our behalf. He will not settle. He will not stop until things are completed in the way that he desires them to be completed. She said, just wait and see how this thing will play out. God's provision may be coming from a different place than you or I ever thought possible. And it causes me to ask myself this question today. Where is God asking me to wait? Where is God asking me to trust? Where is God asking me to grow my faith and ability to just sit still and wait? Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, she said, if you'll just wait right here, He's going to do everything that we need him to do. He's going to redeem us. He's going to take his rightful place in what we're asking him to do, what we need him to do. Let's just rest. And so many of us, we're so frantic, we're so busy trying to solve our own problems, fix our own issues. We're the ones trying to accomplish what it is that needs to be done. And can I just remind you that God's silence does not mean he's absent. God is at work in your circumstances, even when you can't see it. Maybe the news cycles have got you scared. Maybe the news cycles make you think people are overreacting. And maybe the truth may be somewhere in the middle. Maybe the stories of those who are sick scare you to death, whether it's corona or something else because of your fear of health issues. Maybe the circumstances of your life leave you uncertain, anxious, fearful, because you just don't know how it's going to work out. Can I remind you today that as you read through Scripture, we recognize that at the end of this story, God ultimately wins. 
And when we enter into relationship with him, when we align ourselves with him, we win too. This is not a name it and claim it kind of gospel. It does not imply that every day of your life will be rosy, every day of your life will be perfect, but it does tell us that we are connected to a God who sees ultimate victory in the end of this story. So if you don't feel like you're winning right now, it's not the end. God is still working on our behalf for his glory and for his honor. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for the circumstances that you may find yourself in. I want to pray for the things that you're walking through. I want to pray against fear and anxiety in the present circumstances or even others that I may not know about. But I also want to pray that God would help us to be a part of his redemptive work. It could be that the ram that's coming up one side of the mountain is you and it's me for the provision of someone else in our lives that's in need. And so could we open our eyes? Could we trust in a God who is our redeemer? And allows us to be a part of his redemptive work in the world. And could we trust that he'll do the same for us too? I'm going to ask you right where you're at, wherever you're watching today, just to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. Even if you're right there, unless you're driving, unless you're just listening as you drive, I'm going to ask you, maybe pull the car over just for a moment. But let's, let's seek God in prayer about what's going on right now. God, we love you today and we thank you that you're a God who hears us when we pray. I pray right now, God, for every person who's not in relationship with you. Maybe in the last few minutes, they've identified that they're not on Team Jesus. They're not in the relationship with you. They're not a part of the family of God. And so, God, I pray right now that they would recognize their need for a Savior. God, would you forgive their sins and lead and guide their lives from this moment forward? All they need to to do is to acknowledge you and acknowledge their condition. And God, we believe that you saved them and you changed their eternity forever. God, I pray that you would help us to open our eyes to those around us that need a redemptive work. We are not the redeemer. You are. And yet you allow us to play a part in their lives. Let us look beyond ourselves. Let us look to our neighbors and our friends. Let us look to our family during this season of time. And God, help us to take part in your redemptive work in their lives. And lastly, God, I pray that you would help us to remember that you will not stop until this matter is settled. That, God, you are doing a work in the earth, and you're doing a work in our lives. Let us trust you more than we ever have. Let us believe that you are at work, God. Let us believe that you are our redeemer and our provider. And, God, I pray that you would help us, if we need to, to remind you today that you are our Father who art in heaven, and hallowed is your name. To the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the God of Generations Church, God, we believe that you can. We don't just hope that you can. We know that you can. And we're trusting you now. I pray against fear and anxiety. I pray now against those who are afraid because of the news cycles and the present circumstance. God, I pray for the things that are going on around us that they would cause us to turn to you and find hope in you. And God, let us find present blessing in these days. Let us spend time with family and those near us. Let us find the blessing in our work in these days. And God, we pray that in all things you would receive glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.